Welcome to Sane Split, a podcast about staying sane when relationships end. I am AJ Jakubowska, family law lawyer and mediator. Just like you, I'm human. I understand what can happen when people separate. Lots of questions swirling around like confetti. Lots of uncertainty, perhaps anger, disappointment, or even pain. Sleepless nights, shallow breathing. Will I ever be happy again? Will the kids be okay? How much is all this going to cost? All of these questions are human and you're not alone. This podcast features my thoughts about separation and my interviews with other humans who help people when their relationships end. People who assist with legal issues, who mediate, who look after hearts and minds, and even after the pocketbook. People who might help you plan your future. What you will hear is not legal advice. These are dialogues primarily about the human aspect of separation. We will try to stay away from legal lingo. It's humans talking to humans. I hope that something you hear will help you navigate your way to a sane split. Welcome and thanks for tuning in. In my work as a family law lawyer, as opposed to a family mediator, my job for my client includes helping them manage their reactions, sometimes very visceral gut responses to communications coming from the other lawyer, the one representing their spouse. And I will use that word spouse in this episode to refer to both people who are married to one another and also common law and now separated. Those reactions can be quite powerful and can send ripples through the case. And I will explain what I mean here as I go on. So for me, as someone whom my client hired to be a sort of manager of the case and overseer of it, it's important to manage elements which might impact on how it rolls out, the case that is. Elements over which my client and I have some measure of control. That includes our side of the case, the approach my client and I take. And importantly, that approach and my client's instructions to me are often impacted by how my client sees their spouse and their lawyer handle their case as well. Because we are all human, and when a human being feels under threat, their natural reaction is to react to the threat, possibly counter-react aggressively in a way they see as protecting themselves. We can learn over time to manage our responses to perceived threat. I firmly believe that. But that is a subject for another time. I'm going to propose for the moment that perceived threat or aggression results in a like response much of the time from an average human. It's how we are wired. Yes, there are situations in which ongoing threat and aggression escalate to the point where the targeted audience simply relents or hides or cowers. 
And those situations include instances of domestic violence, for example. The level of aggression has tipped the balance and the victim has been disempowered to fight back. Very difficult and very problematic circumstances. But setting aside those situations, most people do not react to what they consider unfair shots at them by lying down. They react and possibly alter their behavior in response. In a classic family law case, if there is a lawyer on the other side, someone retained by the other spouse, there will be communications coming from them in various forms, which will include direct discussions between the lawyers by phone, Zoom, and hopefully once the pandemic is over in person. And when such direct communications happen, each lawyer will report to their client about them and manage, quite frankly, how the content of the exchange is passed on to their client. But that is not the type of communication I wanted to talk about today. My focus is on written communication, letters and emails primarily, and I will explore these with some examples. You know I love hypotheticals to illustrate my point, so I have created one for this show as well. Here we go. Jimmy and John separate after eight years of marriage. They have a son, Joshua, who is six, and a daughter, Emily, who is four. Jimmy believes that John has been cheating on him. He is very, very upset. For him, infidelity is the highest form of betrayal in a marriage. He tells John the marriage is over. John denies that there is anyone else that he is cheating and suggests they go to counseling to work through their communication, which has been problematic for some time and on trust issues. He tells Jimmy he is prepared to have him look through his phone and his emails to prove there's nothing to worry about for the sake of complete transparency. Jimmy says the trust is gone, and he believes John would clean up both his phone and his computer before handing them over to him, so there is no point. He says he trusts his gut and simply knows there is someone involved, someone else. John is the breadwinner in the family and came into the relationship with a fair bit of money and property. John wanted Jimmy to enter into a marriage contract before the wedding, what some people call a prenup because of his premarital wealth, but Jimmy refused. They got married anyway. But Jimmy has never forgotten the request for the prenup. He has thought about it over the years and wondered just how important money is to John. So the separation happens. Now lawyers come onto the scene, which is quite common in many, many cases. Jimmy hires Lola, the lawyer, and John retains Luke, the lawyer. John and Jimmy exchange the names of their lawyers, so communication between them 
can start right away from the very beginning of the case. Now, before I go on, there is a key point I need to make. And that is that no two lawyers are alike as humans, of course, but also in terms of their approach to a particular case. The letters and emails lawyer A writes, for example, generally speaking, may be more benign, more conciliatory, because that is their overall approach to dealing with family law cases. The letters and emails from lawyer B, on the other hand, may customarily ooze with allegations, innuendo, and shots across the bow, because that is the style they have adopted and they are sticking to it. And some people deliberately seek out lawyers A or lawyers B. That conscious selection is often a sign of the spouse's agenda, their approach to the issues in the case, how they plan on having them addressed and resolved. Aggressive, all-out battle-seeking spouses often look for like-minded lawyers and unfortunately find them. I say unfortunately because this type of approach is not only not helpful to the case overall, but also, I can tell you with great confidence, has become less and less fashionable, one might say, and desirable. Modern family courts are not about shouting submissions, interrupting the other lawyer, and arguing with them in front of the judge, serving court materials at last minute, and making allegations about stuff which is of no relevance to the actual issues, legal issues in the case. That type of lawyer is out, and courts are very vocal about this issue, including in court decisions and by way of costs orders. Those who conduct themselves in a court case in a way which has delayed resolution unnecessarily, which has increased legal fees, which has complicated the process, they run the risk of having a judge order that they pay not only the costs of their own lawyer, but also those of the other side. So thankfully, the aggressive lawyering model of lawyer B is becoming less and less common, as it should be. We lawyers call lawyers like A and B firefighters on the one hand and arsonists on the other. I mean, lawyers do not always fit exactly into these neat categories, but there are some patterns and they are fairly easy to see. So I suggest you consider whom have you hired or are planning to retain? What do you know about their style, their approach, their methodology? Have you asked them about it? What have they told you in response? Before I come back to our hypothetical, two more brief points to set the scene for our discussion. Number one, 
firefighter is not synonymous with a weak lawyer, someone who might be perceived as not fighting for their client's rights, not being their champion, someone who rolls over. Firefighter lawyers can be, and very, very often are, incredibly effective for their clients. And what I'm talking about is how they get to the destination, their client's goals, the method they employ. A lawyer can be very effective in making their points in a calm and organized way, a great advocate without pouring needless oil on the fire, inflaming what is already a difficult situation because a separation is at issue and emotions are already turned up to 11. From my perspective, an effective family law lawyer pursues with vigor and perseverance their client's rights, while at the same time trying at all times to keep down the temperature, keep the case on the rails, as we lawyers say. Point number two, the initial pairing between the lawyer and their client does not always work out and may have to be adjusted. Sometimes a client might find out as the case takes off that their lawyer is too aggressive in their approach, not willing to work on keeping the thermostat on low and adjusting it from time to time as the temperature in the case changes, and it will. Or the reverse can be true. There are situations in which an angry spouse who feels aggrieved, cheated, wants a lawyer who is prepared to join that battle cry, engage in the same sort of warfare. And after some initial steps in the case are taken, they find out the lawyer they selected is in fact more of a firefighter, not carrying around a flamethrower. So as the case goes on, there may be a reshuffling, new pairings coming together, either because the client is not happy with their lawyer's approach or vice versa. Yes, lawyers do fire clients from time to time. We are permitted to do that based on the rules of our profession in very specific circumstances. Let's go back to Jimmy and John. Lola the lawyer and Luke the lawyer know one another professionally, but they have never had a case together before. Luke the lawyer reaches out to a few colleagues when he learns she will be on the other side to ask who has dealt with her before and for some feedback. I do this all the time when a lawyer I have not worked with before comes on board. Luke is told that Lola, quote, can be a bit aggressive sometimes, close quote. But one source tells Luke, the lawyer, that Lola sometimes starts out taking an aggressive stance, particularly when she acts for someone in Jimmy's circumstances, but then she levels off and ultimately she is settlement-oriented after the initial salvo. Lola writes the first letter. It contains the following paragraph. Quote, My client has made me aware of the reason the party's marriage has come to an end. He is heartbroken over it and is seeking counseling. 
he may have to take some time off work to come to terms with the situation. We ask, given the circumstances, that your client give mine some space and that until we agree otherwise, all issues arising out of the separation be dealt with through the lawyers. Close quote. Here are three potential scenarios unfolding once the letter is sent, and there may be others. Number one, Luke, the lawyer, simply flips the email he got from Lola with the letter attached to John. No comments, just flips the letter. Sometimes a lawyer in Luke's position may have no other choice because, for example, he is in the middle of a trial on another matter and under incredible time constraints to deal with other cases. But this is, in my view, not the best approach, an approach most helpful to John and one which works best for managing the case and John's expectations. Here is another possible scenario, a bit better in my view. Luke, the lawyer, flips the email with the letter to John with the following brief note, quote, John, here is what I received from Lola, the lawyer. What she has written can be interpreted in a number of ways. I realize that. What I suggest is that you read the letter and then we have a chat about it so I can give you my take on it and explain the content and its impact on the current situation. As you know, I am in the middle of a trial, but I will do my very best to speak with you as soon as I am able. In the meantime, it might assist both of us if you put together some questions you may want to ask me about the letter when we speak. Close quote. The reason I think this is a better approach is because the note from Luke, the lawyer to John, addresses some important issues. Number one, John may react to the content of the letter, and this note from Luke suggests an explanation from Luke of some of the comments, some of the content, and how they impact things may moderate that response. So in common parlance, that note is essentially saying, hey, John, read the letter. Don't freak out. I will give you my take on it as soon as I can, and we will manage it together. Number two, Luke, the lawyer, is signaling to his client, John, that that discussion cannot take place right away because of the trial, but is being prioritized. In other words, that Luke, the lawyer, understands and appreciates the importance of John understanding the letter and what it may actually mean from a legal perspective. Here's scenario number three. Luke, the lawyer, sends the letter from Lola to John with an explanatory note. Or they have a call by Zoom, for example, right after John gets the letter, in which Luke, the lawyer, provides his comments. And this happens virtually at the same time. John getting the letter and then the comments and the explanation. From my perspective, this is the best scenario 
And here I'm not talking about every letter. Some letters simply attach documents or deal with scheduling. No need for comments or explanations around those as far as I'm concerned. I'm talking about letters or emails which have the potential of triggering some reaction in the reader, being the client. And a family law lawyer generally has a pretty good idea which letters I'm talking about. Because in our hypothetical, John read the letter from Lola, the lawyer, and thought the following. Number one, Lola, the lawyer, sounds like she believes the cheating part. Number two, the allegation of infidelity will somehow have an impact on the case. Number three, Jimmy is going to claim that he cannot work because of this infidelity, its emotional impact on him, and John will have to pay spousal support forever. Number four, and he has not even had a chance to explain his side of the story, John, that is. Five, if they cannot speak with one another, then that likely means as well that it's war about the kids and Jimmy's going to fight for sole decision-making responsibility and parenting time with very little involvement from John. And who knows, maybe the allegation of infidelity will help Jimmy with that. So that is what John is thinking after reading the letter without any input from his lawyer. I am not going to suggest here what Luke, the lawyer, may actually tell his client about the letter, including to dispel some of John's concerns from a legal perspective. That is not the point here. What I wanted to illustrate is how easy it is to put apparent meaning to words without an understanding of the actual legal impact, what is relevant and what is not, what is important to pay attention to and what can be ignored because it's just oil being poured on the fire. This is particularly likely when emotions, often high emotions, are involved. Back to our hypothetical. John and Luke, the lawyer, talk several days later. Luke has had a chance to put the letter in context and to answer John's questions. They agree to send a responding letter to Lola, the lawyer, which contains the following paragraph. Quote, My client and I would appreciate if our joint focus remained on issues which are truly relevant to this case. Your client's allegation of infidelity is not such an issue, and in any event, my client has asked me to assure your client once again that he has never been unfaithful. This, we hope, will put an end to the allegation. Both parties have been emotionally impacted by the end of the marriage. Everyone, including the children, will experience a period of adjustment. John is hopeful that the fathers can continue to communicate directly about the children. And we agree with having us, the lawyers, deal with one another in a cooperative way 
to address the balance of the issues. Close quote. Lola flips this letter to Jimmy without comment. This is his reaction. Number one, through Luke, the lawyer's letter, John is making me sound like a fool, like a silly fool. Two, he is blowing me off about what I actually know in my gut, and that is that he's cheating on me. Three, I am the victim here, clearly, and he's making himself sound like one, too. What have I done? He's the one who caused the separation. Four, and now he wants us to talk about the kids. Does he not understand that I'm too upset? Five, and what? He wants my lawyer to be cooperative, meaning what? That Lola, the lawyer, is not to protect me, get me everything I'm entitled to, and so it goes. Here's my suggestion for how to read written communications from the other lawyer. Number one, read the words. That is what you should do first. Two, do not attach meaning to the words without some input from your lawyer. Three, find out when you can email or chat with your lawyer about what came in from the other lawyer. Ask them what those words mean, how they are to be taken, whether they matter. Four, consider the style of the other lawyer if you know it. If you don't, ask your own lawyer about their experience with the author of the letter. Are they a firefighter? Are they an arsonist? Five, once you know the other lawyer is generally speaking an arsonist, you will expect a cannonball attached to each letter from them, just because that is their style. That will help you manage your reactions to such written communications going forward. Six, and here is the key point. As you get to know the legal issues in your own case, what facts on each side really matter, really make a difference to the legal issues. You will learn to filter some of the language coming from the other side. You will know whether infidelity actually impacts a family law case. You will know whether a spouse becomes entitled to spousal support solely on the basis of the other spouse cheating. I talked about ripples at the beginning of the show. What did I mean? Let me give you an example. John gets the letter from Lola, the lawyer. And before speaking with Luke, the lawyer, he sends Jimmy a scathing email in which he chastises him for not accepting his denial of the infidelity. He says he will never pay him a penny of spousal support and accuses Jimmy of faking his reaction to the separation. And then he posts on Facebook that Jimmy has accused him of being unfaithful and persists in the story despite a denial. So he must be mentally unstable. And now Jimmy and John are really into it, a battle, allegations, other people becoming involved because lots of people read John's Facebook post. We are heading 
into a potentially high-conflict case. Again, when emotions are turned up to 11, it's important to read words in the right context with an understanding of their actual legal implications before reacting to them appropriately. That reaction can truly make a difference to the overall case. Your kids may be impacted. The overall length and cost of the case on both sides may be impacted. So read written communications coming from the other lawyer with care, in context, with the right commentary in hand from someone who is not as emotionally involved and who understands the actual legal impact of the words, if any, and can explain those to you. That is your lawyer. Because managing your anxiety, your emotions, working to maintain your mental hygiene are very important to navigating your way to a sane split. Thank you for listening. I hope you will tune in again. If you have any questions or comments, you can reach me through my website, separationinontario.com. Subscribing to the podcast through your favorite app will make future episodes available to you automatically. Signing off for now.